As we come to the end of 2022, I want to take a moment to uh, rejoice with you this morning over the incredible ways that the Lord has blessed us and has then enabled us to be a blessing uh, this last year. Uh, God's done some remarkable things for us, and so much so that over the last uh, 12 months, uh, as we look now into uh, 2023, I really believe the Lord is positioning us to have a greater impact uh, than we have ever had uh, before. Uh, over the last month, we've shared with you how uh, God has raised up three different families that in 2023, we're going to go uh, send out to, to church plant. Uh, and I'm thrilled to tell you this morning that at our elder meeting on Monday night, we decided we're going to send out a fourth family in 2023. So that means, yeah, let me, let me explain a little bit more and then you can clap. Uh, but that means uh, that around two dozen people next year, uh, probably by August, Lord willing, by August, are going to leave Harmony Bible Church and are going to go to critically needy areas around the world to start brand new churches uh, from scratch. Now, um, I've been told there's been maybe a little confusion, not exactly sure uh, about that we're all that clear about what exactly is church planning. Let me just give you just a quick summary of what church planning is. Church planning is where you go to a place that desperately needs a church. Uh, in many instances, it means that you're going to learn a language. Some of our families are going to have to learn two different languages. And then they're going to go and they're going to speak, preach the gospel in that language. And when people respond and they believe, they become disciples of Jesus Christ, then a new church will be formed, be a relatively small church. But that church then will be a sister church of Harmony Bible Church. And Lord willing, they're going to preach and sing and do ministry and send people out so that eventually those churches will plant more churches and those churches will plant more churches and that will just continue until Jesus comes back. All right, so there's a lot more to it than that, but just want to give you a little bit of an overview and then just to say this, Harmony Bible Church, this is what it's all about. This is why we exist, to raise people up and then to send them out here in Southeast Iowa, St. Louis, the uttermost parts of the world, so that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue can enter through the narrow gate that is Jesus and then be on their way to everlasting life. And so can we celebrate all that God is doing in our church? We just do that this morning. Now, I want to highlight that all of this is powered by generosity, and specifically by your generosity, and even more specifically by your generosity over the last three weeks of December. Uh, we depend about, uh, about uh, 25% of our budget coming in during the month of December, and so I just want to encourage you as the year ends to be generous in giving to the Lord through Harmony Bible Church. Uh, by the way, I'm not uncomfortable about doing that whatsoever because every penny that you give to Harmony Bible Church goes to raising people up and sending them out so that more people can hear about Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, uh, whether you think you can give a lot or whether you can give a little, it really doesn't matter. The point is, is that we all have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing um, in and through his church. And so I just want to ask you to be generous over the next three weeks. And, and here's what you can know. You can know that as you give and people go, 
that when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've had a part of it, and you're going to see people in heaven one day that you were part of reaching because you gave through the ministry of Harmony Bible Church, all right? So I just want to encourage you about that, um, and, and maybe I'll just put it plainly. Um, it, 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 this sending people out is dependent upon the people of Harmony Bible Church giving. You don't give, we can't send people out. And it's just as plain and simple as that. So again, encourage you to do that. Let me pray now, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Father, we come to you, and uh, we thank you that you have blessed us. We thank you that you're enabling us to be a blessing. But I want to pray yet again that you will bless us, that you will shine your face upon us, that you will show us grace so that your way may be known on all the earth, your saving power among all nations. Father, we're so thankful for the salvation that you have brought us through Jesus. And so as we um, enter this Christmas season and we're reminded how you sent Jesus to save us, may we be also reminded that then Jesus has sent us to tell other people about that salvation. And may we be at, about that more and more in the days ahead. Lord, I want to pray that you will bless our church financially. Uh, and that you will bless us financially so that then we again can be a blessing and we can raise more people up, send more people out, plant more churches, do more ministry, disciple more children and teens and college students and, and uh, older adults so that again, uh, more and more people might hear about the wonderful news of what you have done for us through Jesus. And now, uh, Lord, as we come to your word, open it up to us today, give us understanding. May we have a great time digging into it today for your sake. And for our good, in Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. All right, uh, we're down to just two messages left in our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, two messages that are super important. And they're super important because both of them have to do with huge decisions that we face in life. I'll remind you that as Jesus closes out uh, his Sermon on the Mount, he tells us that we have three big choices that we need to make in life. And these choices are between two gates two teachers, and two foundations. So we talked about the two gates last week. We'll talk about the, the two foundations next week. And that means today we're going to talk about the two teachers. Two teachers uh, that one of those is which is true and the other of those who is false. And Jesus' focus in our text is on false teachers. He's going to tell us that if we're going to avoid the wide gate and the easy way that leads to destruction, then we have to be aware of and refuse to listen to those to those many who continually encourage us to go in this direction. So let's look at our text here this morning. Pick up with me uh, in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We should imagine Jesus speaking these words with urgency and unction. If you could kind of picture it, I really believe at this point Jesus raises his voice. He says, beware. Kind of we have an exclamation point there. Maybe even he's raising his hands and he's saying, listen, listen, you need to beware of these uh, false prophets, these false teachers who, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but they're actually ravenous or vicious wolves. Jesus uses really strong language in this verse to warn us that false teachers are deceptive and dangerous and that we therefore need to pay careful attention and to be on our guard against them. False teachers are deceptive because uh, they normally present themselves as harmless. I mean, what seems less harmless than a sheep? Than a cute little cuddly lamb? 
As I was writing the sermon, I couldn't get that old nursery rhyme out of my mind. Mary had a little lamb. Just makes you want to kind of laugh and play, right? Some of you will get that later, I guess. But sheep seem completely harmless. But what Jesus is saying is that false teachers, they, they only look like sheep, when in reality, they are vicious wolves. In other words, while they appear harmless, they actually pose a grave danger. Now, to fully get what Jesus is saying here, we've we, we got to keep two things in mind. One is the fact that all throughout the scriptures, God's people are called what? They're called sheep. So these false teachers are presenting themselves as if they are God's people. We also have to understand that in Jesus' day, the number one danger for a sheep was, guess what, a wolf. Wolves were the number one enemy of a sheep. So that means that Jesus is telling us this. You know what Jesus is telling us? He's telling us that the number one danger for his church is false teachers. So I want you to think about this because if I were to ask you what you would say would be the number one danger for the church today, you might say persecution given what's kind of going on in our country. Uh, or you might say, you know what, it's the progressive left or the radical left agenda. Or you might say it's conflict, division in the church. Or you might even say it's the hypocrisy of Christian leaders. And you know what? While all of those are significant dangers, the number one danger for the church today is false teachers. Why is that the case? Well, false teachers can lead us to hell. That's actually what Jesus is going to say in verse 19. We'll get to it in a moment. But Jesus says the false teachers are going to end up in hell. And what he's trying to get across to us is so too do those who follow their teaching. So false teachers pose an incredible danger. And we should be aware that Jesus gives lots of warnings about false teachers. It's a theme that he comes back to repeatedly, especially in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's clear from what he says that he has no tolerance for them. Jesus has a zero tolerance policy when it comes to false teachers. And it's not only Jesus, but it's also the other authors of the New Testament specifically. Peter, John, and Paul. If you read through these letters that these men write, you will see that they talk about false teachers all the time, and they have a zero tolerance policy as well. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to read one key passage, go to 2 Peter chapter 2, where Peter just lays into false teachers for 22 verses, and he's just, he just merciless. So here we see Paul, uh, Peter's um, temperament coming out in a good way, and he just lays into them. All this to say, we need to understand today that we are probably at a greater risk of false teachers than ever before. I say that because uh, for, for many, many centuries, really up until probably our last century, most false teachers either needed to come in person, okay, or, or their teaching needed to be distributed uh, by, by hand, by what they wrote. What we have today, because of the internet, because of technology, is that false teaching is absolutely everywhere. False teachers are all over the internet, TV, podcasts, and social media, and that means that we are all regularly exposed to them. And I can say this, you were exposed to false teaching this week in some way. You will be exposed to false teaching in this coming week in some way, and probably every week for the rest of your life you will hear some kind of false teaching. And so we need to know how to recognize false teachers so we can be on guard and defend ourselves 
against them. And can I just say specifically to you young people today, I'm gonna do a lot of teaching this morning. Last week was a lot of, a lot of preaching, okay? Today's a lot of teaching, but if I can say to you young people, I really, really want you, if you would, give me an early Christmas gift, okay? Here's my early Christmas gift. Just give me the next 20, well, 30 minutes or so. Okay? And really lean in here with me. Maybe take some really, really good notes because if you will, it will make a huge, huge difference in your lives, all right? And that's true for everybody, but especially for young people, all right? So here's the big question we're going to explore today. How do we recognize false teachers? How do we spot the vicious wolves who come to us in sheep's clothing? Well, let's look at what Jesus goes on to say in verses 16 through 20. It says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus switches metaphors from sheep and wolves to trees and their fruit. And he says a healthy tree, i.e. a true teacher, produces good fruit. And an unhealthy or a diseased tree, i.e. a false teacher, produces bad fruit. And the point in all of this, Jesus states it twice, is that you can recognize them, the them being false teachers, by the bad fruit that they produce. Now, this means two things. First of all, it means that we have the ability to recognize false teachers. This is good news, isn't it? Isn't it good news that we have the ability to be able to recognize the false teachers who are trying to lead us down the path to hell? That's really good news, right? We, we can do that. But then second, it means that we need to understand what this fruit is that Jesus is, is talking about. What, what is this fruit that he's telling us that, that we need to inspect? Well, I like this definition from Frederick Bruner. He says this, fruit means what is produced, what people actually teach and do, how they really live, the kinds of life and teaching they actually present to others, and thus, all in all, their effects on their hearers. From this definition, we learn that a teacher's fruit can be seen in two things, his or her content and his or her character. Content and character, those are the two things that Jesus tells us that we are to inspect in those who are teaching us. So let's begin with content. And by content, I'm referring to doctrine or what a teacher teaches. And there are three questions that we should ask of every teacher that is teaching us. Here are the questions. What do they teach about Jesus? What do they not teach about Jesus? And what do they teach about what it means to follow Jesus? So question number one, what do they teach about Jesus? Question number two, what do they not teach about Jesus? Question number three, what do they teach about what it means to follow Jesus? So let's walk through each of these questions. Question number one, what do they teach about Jesus? First John chapter four tells us this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, 
And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world today. He's active and he's working today. And he speaks through false teachers. And what John is telling us, playing off what Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, is that we can spot a false teacher based upon what they say about Jesus. If they say, say that Jesus does not come from God, that means they are false. On the other hand, if they they do confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, then we can know that they are actually teaching the truth. See, almost every false teacher goes wrong at some point when it comes to Jesus. Some deny that he's both fully God and fully man. Some deny the atonement that on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be restored to God. Some deny the resurrection, and some deny that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. To be honest, this first question is the only question that you need to ask in most instances. Most false teachers show their true colors when it comes to Jesus. Most get something wrong about Jesus, and if you get something wrong about Jesus, you get everything else wrong as well. A decade ago, uh, I'm not going to name any names today. I am going to allude to him, and I'm going to do one right now. But a decade ago, a well-known former evangelical pastor and author posed this question. And before I give the answer to the question, I want you to answer it for yourself. So here's the question that he posed. If archaeologists found definitive proof that Jesus had an earthly biological father, therefore disproving the virgin birth, would we lose anything? Will we lose anything if Christmas isn't true? And I, I'm not talking about here about presents and the, the holiday, okay? Will we lose anything if Jesus actually had a biological, earthly father? Will we lose anything? Go ahead and answer it out loud. Will we lose anything? Yes, we will lose something. Actually, we would lose Jesus, so we would lose everything. You see, if Jesus had a biological father, that means that he's no different than you and me. And if he's no different than you and me, that means he's a sinner just like we are. And if he's a sinner just like we are, then his death on the cross means absolutely nothing because he can't pay the penalty for our sin. And if he couldn't pay the penalty for our sin, that means that we are still dead in our transgressions and sin and we are still on the way to hell. That means there's no narrow gate to heaven at all. There's only a wide gate that leads to destruction. So, so if, if we compromise anything about Jesus, we, we throw our salvation out the window with it. And by the way, this former evangelical pastor, shortly after asking this question, uh, committed a bunch of other heresies and basically is thrown in the talent Christianity altogether, and you're much more likely to hear him being interviewed by Oprah than actually being in a pulpit speaking the truth. All right? So, and that's kind of what happens when you start denying things about Jesus. There is a slippery slope that leads to hell. And I have no bones about saying that because it's true. All right? So, it matters what we say about Jesus. And that's the first and foremost question we need to ask. Then there's a follow-up question. Question number two. What does a teacher not teach about Jesus? So what do they teach about Jesus? But then we also have to ask, what do they not teach about Jesus? You see, the problem with some false teachers isn't that they teach errant things about Jesus. It's that they don't teach much, if anything, about him at all. 
especially when it comes to truths that many people find implausible or offensive. Again, things like the virgin birth, uh, the atonement, the resurrection, and future judgment. Uh, One of the most well-known TV preachers is a prime example of this. Uh, While this man has many nice and encouraging things to say, and to my knowledge has never denied the core truths of the gospel, he unfortunately never affirms them either. In fact, he hardly talks about Jesus, period. Uh, His television interviews are some of the most painful television you will ever watch because even when he is, the interview is trying to pin him down, he will do everything he possibly can to not say something that might be offensive to someone somehow in some way. And see, what we have to understand here is that he and others like him preach a Jesusless gospel, which means they preach no gospel at all. And if you don't preach the gospel, you're preaching something that ultimately points people away from Jesus. This is often subtle, but when a preacher or teacher fails to keep Jesus at the center of their teaching, what he's doing is directing people to an alternate means of salvation. However, since there's no salvation other than in Jesus, what that teacher's actually doing is pointing people toward the wide road that leads to destruction. Now, let me get a little more specific here. Today, there's so much that passes as Christian teaching that focuses on self-improvement. How to be prosperous. How to be a better you. How to live your best life now. And it all sounds good. That's why it sells and tops the bestsellers. By the way, I know how to write a bestseller. All I have to do is tell people that they're inherently good that they've just got to look inside themselves, okay, and find their true person, that they've just got to put the right people around them, and if they try hard enough, okay, and people are just and fair with them, then they will finally discover who they are. If it sounds like a Disney film, that's pretty much what it is, okay? But here's the problem with that. When Christian authors write things like that, what we're actually telling people is that you can find salvation within yourself, that the key to salvation is inside you, and the truth is, is that the problem is inside of us, and the, the, the salvation is outside of us. We need a salvation that comes outside of us, a salvation that only comes through Jesus. You see, when teaching is devoid of Jesus, it's ultimately harmful instead of helpful, because it leads people to trust in something other than Jesus for salvation, which is ultimately no salvation at all. So church, hear this. I'm going to quote Frederick Bruner again. The way Jesus is preached will be the root, the fruit-producing tree of ministry. So where Jesus is preached and preached correctly, the tree, i.e. the teacher, will produce good fruit. And where Jesus is preached incorrectly or not at all, the teacher uh, will produce bad fruit, thus showing that he or she is a false teacher. Question number three. What does a teacher teach about what it means to follow Jesus? Do they teach a discipleship that's congruent with what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been studying for the last four months? A discipleship that's hard, uncomfortable, and requires a man to die to himself? Or do they promise a discipleship that's at odds with this? A discipleship where there's no need for obedience, or where Jesus is a means to get rich, 
or where the clear teachings of Scripture on things like sexuality, marriage, and gender are reinterpreted or set aside to accommodate the winds of culture. Paul actually talked about right this, right? He said the time is coming where people will just, they, they, they won't want to hear the truth anymore, so they will just gather around them teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. We're in that day, friends. And there are a whole lot of people who, who pose as pastors and true teachers of the, of the word who are reinterpreting God's word to fit in with how people want to live. And, and so we allow our feelings or our culture to determine what God's word says than, rather than allow God's word to tell us how we should live. And so we have to ask, what are they saying about what it means to truly follow Jesus? Or maybe I could put it this way. What are they saying about what it means to be a Christian? I think it's important here to point out that if Jesus were speaking to our context today, I believe he would address all the false teaching that's found in the media we consume. Again, in the first century, almost all false teachers were actually preachers or pastors, and you had to hear them in person. But today, a great deal of false teaching comes through YouTube, uh, Facebook, TikTok, Netflix, and cable news. Now, and my warning to you here is that I'm afraid many of us are being discipled more by these things than we're actually being discipled by the Bible whether that's through our own study or through being taught and discipled by others. Uh, can I just say this? If we're spending more time listening to what the world says than what the Bible says, we're in big trouble. I just want to encourage you here. I'm not saying you don't, don't watch Disney or, or Netflix. Don't be on social. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that there's a lot of false teaching out there. And if you're spending more time imbibing that than you are actually in God's word, it's going to be to your detriment. And I'm not going to say that, no, it's going to lead you to hell, but here's what I'm going to tell you. It is going to lead you to pain and hurt and difficulty because that's what Satan is after and he uses deception to bring you harm. And so I just have to urge you, all of you today, and again, especially you young people, I'm not saying get rid of your iPhone. I'm not saying get rid of your apps. What I'm saying, though, is if you're spending a whole lot more time listening to what all the people there are saying, they're telling you lies. They're telling you lies. They're not giving you the truth. And so you have to get into God's word and allow it to speak the truth to you so that you can uh, live in light of that and so you can become what it is calling you to become. Now, I, I realize, listen, this is an unpopular message. And, and I realize that, but that's actually an indication that it's true. <laughs> Given the fact that Jesus says that easy is the way to destruction and wide is the gate and many are those who go there, but narrow is the way and hard is the, the way, narrow is the gate, and hard is the way to life, and few there are who go there. So are you going to go where the few go, or are you going to go where the many go, and the few go where the truth is? And the truth is not found in the world. It's found in the word. Not in the world, but it's in the word. So that's content. Let's now talk about the fruit of character. Not only should we inspect what a teacher teaches, okay, but we should also examine how he lives. We should look at his life and discern if he's following Jesus, because if he isn't, we really can't trust what he's teaching is going to lead us to follow Jesus. 
Now, there's a fine line here. Uh, We should avoid being critical uh, and examining a teacher in a harsh or judgmental way. Honestly, there's a lot of that going on in the church, and it really would be great if it would stop. But we have to understand that Jesus, you know, unequivocally addresses this whole issue in no uncertain terms a little earlier in chapter 7. However, a teacher's character matters, and if a teacher has major character issues, we should consider him, let me say this, unfit to listen to. Why is this the case? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul tells a young pastor named Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself, that means on your life, and on the teaching. That's what, on what you teach. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's telling him, not only does your content have a great impact on your hearers, but so, do, so too does your character. If you, Timothy, will pursue holiness, the result will be that your hearers will pursue holiness too. On the other hand, if you live without holiness, so too will those who are listening to you. Paul's telling him, not only will your people be greatly impacted by by what you teach, they're gonna be greatly impacted by how you live. And there's a really, really important word for us here. Church, we must realize that character matters as much as content. Can I say that again? Character matters as much as content. We have a real tendency in the church today to value gifting over character. Now, we do this both with church leaders and with leaders in general. Now, if someone has a great speaking gift or a leadership gift or sometimes just simply agrees with what we think or what we believe or we think that they can get things done and they're gonna accomplish what we believe really needs to happen, then we have a real tendency just to, to ignore major character issues that they have as long as they are extremely gifted and we like them. But here's the problem. Well, Jesus and Paul are telling us that character issues are bad fruit and trees that produce bad fruit have the potential to bring us great harm because they can end up producing bad fruit in us. Can I just say this to you? That, that if the people that you are following, you are listening to, have bad character, that's going to lead you to have bad character too. That's the way that it works. Whoever you're listening to, whoever you are following, whoever you are even around, the friends that you have, you are going to become like them. You might think, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, I'm the one that's gonna stand out. Everybody's gonna follow me. That ain't the way that it works, all right? You become like the people and like the content that you consume. Now, this doesn't mean that a teacher needs to be perfect. And please, it's unhelpful to expect a teacher to be so. (laughs) All right, it doesn't mean that. So like I said last week, we aren't looking for uh, perfection, but rather direction. We, We should ask, is the overall direction of this teacher's life one in which he or she is clearly following Jesus. This is another way that the Sermon on the Mount is extremely helpful to us. And I can, just, can I just plead with you? I, when we're done this series next Sunday, please do not put the Sermon on the Mount on the shelf. It, it, Jesus, Jesus gave us this sermon so we could go back to it over, do you believe this, by the way? Over and over and over again. Because in it, again, I just say, he's giving us a portrait of discipleship. He's showing us what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be his followers. And this should begin 
with our leader. So, so when we're looking for a leader to follow, a teacher to listen to, we should begin by, by going to the sermon and saying, uh, is this individual displaying the marks of a disciple? Is this individual God-dependent, meek, merciful, gracious, generous, pure, a peacemaker, self-sacrificial? Maybe most of all, is this teacher someone who expresses poverty of spirit when they aren't all of these things? In fact, I'll put it this way. When it comes to character, the best evidence that someone is a true teacher is whether or not they live a life of repentance. Even the godliest Christians sin and sin often. By the way, here's another way that you can know a true or false teacher. A false teacher will give this idea that they are perfect or nearly perfect and that they never do anything wrong. That, that, that's a sign of a false teacher. A true teacher actually will humbly express the fact that they aren't perfect and will be clear that that is the case. So, so the question isn't about perfection. The question is, do we repent when we sin? Do we humble ourselves, ask for forgiveness, and start walking in obedience again? In summary then, let me give you two brief points of application. Number one, take Jesus' warning about false teachers seriously. Take them seriously. Not to do so is to place yourself in grave peril. Instead, heed Jesus' words and take the road less traveled by because it will make all the difference. Number two, take Jesus' warning seriously by making the study of God's word a priority. The best thing that we can do to be on guard against false teaching is to be intimately familiar with the truth. Can I say that again? The best thing that you can do to guard yourself against false teaching is to be intimately familiar with the truth. I understand that federal agents are trained how to spot counterfeit money, not by studying phony bills, but rather by studying actual real bills. So they will spend hours upon hours upon hours looking at and touching real bills so that whenever they spot a phony one, they will know instantly that it actually is counterfeit. And you get the point here? Is that the, the, the best guard against false teaching is to know the truth so well that whenever you see or you hear a false teacher, you instantly know that what you're being told is false. And so this means that we have to give ourselves to the study of God's word. Now, I know that I have told you this over and over. In fact, uh, if you were keeping account, you would know that this is the number one application I give. And I'm going to keep giving it. I'm going to keep giving it. I'm going to keep giving it. Because by and large, your life will be determined by what you do with this book. If you will give yourself to this book and you will study it and you will listen to it being preached and you will be in Bible studies and you will, you, you will, you will dig into it by yourself and with others, it will keep you on the road less travel, which ends in life. I know this from, by experience. I know it by experience because 30 years now, all the way back in 1993 when I was a junior in college, God did a gracious work in my life and he gave me a real desire to study his word. And so now for, for 30 years, I've almost studied it day in and day out. And I have found that over and over again, it has kept me on the road to life. Brothers and sisters, other than Jesus, this is the greatest treasure in my life. I treasure my wife. I treasure my kids. I treasure you. 
but I treasure this more. Why? Because it is the thing that points me over and over again to the narrow gate and the hard way that leads to life. And I don't know about you, I won't speak for you, but my tendency in my sinful flesh is literally every day I get up and I want to go the easy way. Y'all with me? Maybe? I mean, the easy way looks really good, doesn't it? It it looks really good because it's easy. But it's actually, here's the deception. That easy way is easy for a while, and then it ends in difficulty forever. And that's why we need this word day in and day out to direct us on that hard road, to keep us on that hard road. And so here's what I want to say to you today that I, I know that, that if you will give yourself to this word, the Lord will do what he did for me and what he has done for me for 30 years, day in and day out. So as we, we head here in just three weeks into 2023, and I really want you to wrestle this, and I really want you to do it. I want you to commit that your New Year's resolution next year is that you are going to give yourself to the study of God's word. It won't always be easy. There will be times where it will be dry, where you won't get anything out of it, where you will be confused. And I just want to encourage you to stick with it, to be disciplined by it, because over time, as Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, that taste enhances desire. And once you get a true taste of that pure milk of the word, you will grow in your hunger for it. And as you grow in your hunger for it and you get into it, you'll grow in your faith. And you will see yourself becoming more and more mature in Jesus Christ. And let me just say this to you, right? And I'll, I'll be done. Um, false teachers don't always lead everybody to destruction and to hell. But false teachers can affect those of us who are on our way to heaven and cause a lot of damage and a lot of pain in our lives. And I've experienced this over and over. And I've seen people who have experienced immense difficulty in in their lives. They're true believers. But because they have been taught things that are false about all kinds of things like marriage uh, and and sex and what it means to actually know uh, the Lord and false things that have to do uh, with the church, it just creates a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of difficulty. And this is where I'm coming to you, young people. If early on in your your life, you will just commit yourself to, to the Lord and to a church where the gospel is preached and to a small group of people where you can encourage people in the faith, it will make a world of difference and it will save you from a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And will you just listen to an old guy? Okay? I've been there. I've done that. And, and, And I've learned that the best way to go is the hard way to go. Take the road less traveled and it will make all the difference.